G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. A little over a century ago, writes uh, one commentator, a little over a century ago, it wasn't uncommon to find Christians in some traditions asking after a sermon, how did you get on under the word? Now we ask, how did you enjoy the sermon? Now that latter question is extended, how did you enjoy the worship, that is the rest of the service apart from the sermon? Worship can be rated according to our degree of enjoyment, it is part of the genus entertainment industry. Um, In a similar vein, I came across a headline uh, on a Christian Issues website just the other week entitled, Do You Worship Your Worship Experience? It begs the question, doesn't it, when exactly, at what point did church stop being about God and start being all about us, my enjoyment, my uh, entertainment, my experience? Um, Folks, a fortnight ago, I thought we had successfully wrapped up our series on worship, Uh, but one of you, oh beloved congregation, put a compelling case to me that no, we we need to take one more pass at it, we need to take another look. Um, Specifically, that we should bring all of that stuff that we saw of, of worship as a whole of life response to the Gospel, Worship as a 24-7 thing, worship in that Romans chapter 12 verse 1 kind of a sense, do you remember that? In view of God's mercy, you know, in view of the gospel Christian, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, We need to bring all of that worship as a whole of life stuff to bear particularly on what we do in church, here, of a Sunday morning, in this thing that we do every single week and more often than not call our worship service. I think I'm safe to say, I hope I'm safe to say, um, we get, we understand that we come for something a little higher than my entertainment, than my enjoyment, than my experience. Um, But as we've seen, we can't quite say that we come here for worship either, in the sense that we'd be saying that we'd be doing something different to what we're doing the rest of the time because worship is an all-of-life thing, do you see? So, let's pray as we come to this topic of putting together worship and church. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, our God before whom the Lord Jesus Christ has made the way for us to draw near in worship and thanks and praise, Father, would you please grant to us a desire this morning to scrutinise ourselves under the light of the Word of God. Would you please grant us your grace as we do that, lest we slide into judgmentalism of one another or fear with regard to ourselves. Give us instead generous hearts towards each other and open hearts before you. May we be willing to listen and learn and be challenged. And please, Father, form our very community life into patterns, into habits, into traditions, into forms that bring you glory, all the more. We know that we're not yet there yet, we know that ours is not a perfect church, but we look ahead, God in heaven, to what you have in store for us, along with all of your children, gathered around the throne of heaven. God, we look forward to that day, so may we learn to reflect that future in the present, even now. 
Amen. So um, J.P. Morland, J.P. Morland once talked about the birth of the church, the beginning of the church, uh, in these words. He said, when a major cultural shift takes place, historians look for events that can explain it. Let's think about the start of the Christian church, he says. There's no question it began shortly after the death of Jesus and spread so rapidly that within a period of maybe 20 years, it's even reached Caesar's palace in Rome. Not only that, but this movement triumphed over a number of competing ideologies and eventually overwhelmed the entire Roman Empire. Now, he asks, if you were a Martian looking down on the first century... Would you think Christianity or the Roman Empire would survive? You probably wouldn't put your money on a ragtag group of people whose primary message was that a crucified carpenter from an obscure village had triumphed over the grave. Yet it was so successful that today we name our children Peter and Paul and we name our dogs Caesar and Nero. Brothers and sisters, I know that Moreland here, he's talking about the church rather than a single local congregation, but he's saying, he's noticed since the beginning, rather than scatter in the winds, rather than disperse off in different directions, rather than peter away, drift off into nothingness, worshippers of Jesus Christ have gathered and have grown and then have gone out and wherever they've gone, they have then gathered and they have grown. It is like church and gathering and togetherness is stitched into our DNA somehow. Even in the face of staunch, sometimes fierce opposition, even in the face of the Roman Empire. Now, would you come with me first, please, to that passage that we just read to us. Thank you very much for that, uh, Marianne. And may I say, well done on those names in Nehemiah, my goodness. You just nailed every single one of it. Brilliant. Anyway, but Hebrews 10 is where we're going for now. Hebrews 10. Um, So come with me there, because I think it shows us how the gospel itself weaves gathering regularly into our very lives. It weaves togetherness. It weaves gathering into the worshipping life of Christians, into the fabric of our response to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Please notice the way that the author starts. It's quite temple quite worshipy kind of language. Jesus is ushering us into the very presence um, of God. It's describing how we come to God through Christ's life, death, resurrection. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence... To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, it's not talking about the temple anymore, folks. It's symbolic in that sense, it's figurative in that sense. No, it's talking about the very presence of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's referring to Jesus, with all of that background... Since all of that stuff, because of all of that, let us, he says, let us, five times, let us do five different things which flow from this presence of God experience that we have. So here it is, let us, firstly, verse 22, draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience 
and having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, that, that one's fairly straightforward. I can come to God, you can come to God, um, free of fear, so draw near to God because you're forgiven. And number two, let us, number two, verse 23, hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he, God, who promised is faithful. Okay, so hold on to that hope. God will do it. Look where you're going, Christian. But now thirdly, see, suddenly it's not just about me anymore. Verse 24, the third one here. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So we've got this hope together, Christian, and so let's help one another get there together. But on top of that, fourthly, let us not give up meeting together, in verse 25, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us, fifthly, lastly, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Can you see the progression here? Can you see the image? I have in mind a chute or a funnel or a a narrowing kind of tunnel perhaps or if you want a different picture of cars trying to merge into one lane using the zipper rule, do you see what I mean? It's that coming together kind of a thing, drawing us on toward God, toward the hope of where we're going and every step closer to that hope draws us closer to one another, do you see? So we've all got our indicators on moving in toward one another as we head toward the hope. So what it's saying is in our very DNA, I am drawn closer to you, sister or brother, closer to you to help you, to encourage you, to spur you on or goad you or drag you, whatever's necessary, I suppose. I increasingly notice you. I go out of my way to help you. Encourage, goad, spur until we arrive together at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did that last verse finish? And all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see? We do church because it is who we are. We don't give up meeting together because meeting together, coming together is who we are and where we're headed. Now, before I move on, can I just make a passing application for us here as a church? It's this. If you're someone who, I want to say, rarely comes to church. Now, there might be many reasons for that. But if you're someone who rarely comes to church, please do notice that that habit, it stands at odds with the biblical direction here. Is that fair to say? If you miss church more often than not, it's a problem, I think, here, not so much because, oh my gosh, you might not make it. You might not make it to that hope. No, I don't think that's... Not, not so much in terms of this verse. It's a problem because we're the poorer for your absence, do you see? We miss out on your spurring, your encouraging, your helping us along toward the goal together. And by the way, I suppose you miss out on our spurring of you and encouraging of you, goading and pushing of you. Now, that's all starting to make church sound more like work than like worship, isn't it? So, uh, let's turn to that question now, worship or work? Now, Cole Marshall, um, a man who I greatly admire, Australian bloke, real key thinker in the Australian scene on discipleship especially, Um, Cole Marshall, he tells the story of how one conversation with him kind of reshaped how he thinks of church and indeed of, of worship. So, let me share that story with you. Some years ago, 
he says. Some years ago, a pastor, Ray Ewers, instructed me in the finer art of how to walk into church. (laughs) To most people, this might appear to be a rather basic accomplishment requiring little or no tutelage. Perhaps a family with five toddlers would appreciate some advice. But most of us would never give it thought. Ray's instruction was very brief. Pray about where you sit. Praying seemed like a good way to walk into church, better than grumbling about the full car park or feeling annoyed about the first hymn. But most of all the things to pray about, why should I be concerned with seating position? After all, I sit in my pew every week. Ray's advice was based on a particular view of church. He saw church as a place where Christians go to work. Come with me to Ephesians 4, would you please? Ephesians 4. I'm hoping this will help us to answer the question of why am I here at church with all of these folks? Or to put it a little differently, how do I worship here at church surrounded by my brothers and sisters? Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, let's pick it up from verse 4. We won't read all the verses in that paragraph, but that's okay. Pick it up from verse 4. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Notice again, it's like the Hebrews passage, isn't it? It starts with our togetherness, starts with our unity, starts with us all being saved by the one gospel through faith in Christ. Verse 7, but to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Skip down with me to verse 11. You can read the intervening verses another time. Verse 11, it was He, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, let's just follow that. It's a dense sentence. Let's follow that through. So, each of us has been given some portion from Christ. I think it's talking about giftedness, isn't it? A varied giftedness amongst us, um, which includes Christ has given some, can I put it this way, word experts to the church, apostles, what were they, prophets, uh, even us lowly pastor teachers. Now, why? Why? Have these, uh, why has Christ given these particular word gifts, it tells us, to verse 12, prepare God's people, in other words, to prepare all of us, God's people. Now, what are the pastors preparing all of us Christians for? For works of service. Works of service. Now, what works does he seem to have in mind? Well, it doesn't explicitly tell us, but it does give us some sense of it. They're presumably works that help us with this, so that the body of Christ, the whole body of Christ, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How are we going with doing that? Working at that together when we come together on a Sunday morning? Uh, or helping others to do that, minding the kids in Christ, so that we can get on. Do you see what I mean? It's, 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 it's a, it is a work kind of a thing, isn't it? 
Verse 14 and following teases it out all the more in language that I hope that we can sort of grab onto a little bit more. Then we will no longer be infants, verse 14, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I think Ray Ewers was right, in a sense. Two people get up on Sunday morning, unconvinced about whether or not they should come to church. The one says, what am I honestly going to get out of church today? The other one says... Why has the risen Lord Jesus given me to this bunch of believers that I call Good News Christian Church? I can't answer the first question, what am I going to get out of church this morning? I don't know. Maybe you won't get a whole lot. But I can answer, we can answer the second one, can't we? I am here, you are, you are here to speak the truth in love so that in all things we will grow up into Christ. I reckon Ray was right. Praying seems like a great way to walk into church, but most of all the things to pray about, why should I be concerned with seating position? Ray's advice was based on a particular view of church. He saw church as a place where Christians go to work. Yes, church is a gathering of God's people to hear His Word and respond in faith and obedience, but in this gathering we seek to serve each other. We use our gifts and abilities to strengthen one another, to build Christ's church. Edification is the word often used to describe what goes on in church. All believers are involved in building the church. Because of this, we aren't to see ourselves merely as part of an organisation called St Hubert's Church, but as servants of God's people, eager to meet the needs of others, even if it means sacrificing our own. Okay, two quick applications here. Firstly, can you see why we have something of a stress on word ministry um, here of a Sunday morning? Uh, it's, look, sometimes I hear murmurings, and I don't mind hearing the murmurings. The Bible readings at church go on too long. Why does he pick such long passages? Or the sermons, they're so thinky. Or he, he reads the passage in the sermon when we've just read it. Why does he do that? Uh, brothers and sisters, as your pastor, I guess I just want to kind of share with you the, the, the value, my values in making those decisions. Um, values of word ministry. Uh, share with you those and in a sense I would rather err on that side than the other side and, uh, and I guess I want you to um, share that with me. Now, yes, I need to preach better or shorter or smarter or clearer or all of those things. Uh, but in terms of my emphasis, let's agree to share that emphasis and that value, that priority uh, and that direction. And in a sense, rejoice that we do and trust that we'll keep improving at it um, along the way together. Now, I say that not to shut down criticism or critical analysis. I, I appreciate it. I want it to keep it coming, um, but just to share with you that uh, direction, priority, value. Second little application here is uh, a question. Here at church, do we give adequate expression to all of God's people? speaking the truth in love. Uh, to put it another way, um, is it too much pastor and not enough of us, do you see? 
Or as David Peterson puts it, I think rightly, if the balance of New Testament teaching is to be preserved, there should be some space for the informal contributions of members. Uh, Folks, if you've been following the bulletin, um, you might have noticed that that's something that the session has thought about recently. We've chewed over recently, we've talked about, um, and I'm pleased to say that in the coming year we've resolved to correct that balance a little, um, which I think is a good thing. Uh, We believe in ministry to one another, we believe that we each have a role in ministry to one another, so let's find ways to cultivate that, to promote that, Um, yes, even to train for that so that we can do it well together, Um, even here on Sunday mornings, even in up the front ways, so stay tuned for that. Just before I move on, now I'm conscious that I'm, you know, I've just said I'm, you know, kind of working on being shorter, clearer, all the rest. Anyway, John Blanchard, he tells this, I think, unusual story, almost crazy story, that illustrates how this kind of commitment worked out for him in Bible reading at his local church in Guernsey, where he was. Let me read it to you. John Blanchard, he says, there are times when I have felt that the Bible was being read with less preparation than the notices and with considerably less understanding. A year or two after my conversion, he says, I was appointed as a lay reader in the Church of England to Holy Trinity Church, Guernsey. As it happened, the vicar almost always asked me to read the lessons, which um, Maureen can correct me later, but I'm pretty sure that means the text that the preacher's going to preach on. Yeah, that's his, so his, his job is to read the Bible. Uh, my wife and I, he says, lived in a small flat at the time, but I can vividly remember my Sunday morning routine. Immediately after breakfast, I would go into the bedroom, lock the door and begin to prepare for reading the lesson that morning. After a word of prayer, I'd look up the lesson in the lectionary, so to know what passage it was, and read it carefully in the authorised version, which was the one we were using in church. Then, I would read it through in every other version I had in my possession in order to get thoroughly familiar with the whole drift and sense of the passage. Next, I would turn to the commentaries. I didn't have many in those days, but those I had, I used. I would pay particular attention to word meanings and doctrinal implications. When I'd finished studying the passage in detail, I'd go to the mantelpiece, which was roughly the same height as the lectern in church, and prop up the largest copy of the authorised version I possessed. Having done that, I would walk slowly up to it from the other side of the room and begin to speak aloud. Here beginneth the first verse of the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to St John, or whatever the passage was. Then I would begin to read aloud the portion appointed. If I made so much as a slip of the tongue, a single mispronunciation, I would stop, walk back across the room and start again until I had read the whole passage word perfect, perhaps two or three times. There were times when I emerged from the bedroom with that day's clean white shirt, stained with perspiration drawn from the effort of preparing one lesson to be read in church. Does that sound like carrying things too far? Then let me add this, he says. I was told that there were times when after the reading of the lesson, people wanted to leave the service there and then and go quietly home and think over the implications of what God had said to them in his word. Brothers and sisters, John Blanchard is not the bar for reading the Bible here in church. He's not. 
Marion, I don't want you to feel at all bad about your reading this morning. It was excellent. I, I thought it was brilliant. And I say the same for every person who's read in the last month as well. But what I love here, I love his heart. I love his heart for ministry. I love his heart for work. I love his heart to love and to lead people in the Word of God. It's admirable, I think. It's crazy, but it's inspiring, um, I hope, the ministry that we can have to one another in fairly simple um, tasks. Now, worship. We've slidden right over to the work end of the spectrum, what I'm here for, what I've got to do. Um, So lastly, and sort of by way of conclusion, can we please try to piece these puzzle pieces together? Worship on the one hand and this word ministry work on the other. Is it ultimately either or? Or is it perhaps a one and then the other? Would you come with me please um, to Colossians chapter 3? My reading of it is that no, we worship God in and through ministering the Word from God to one another. I'll say that again. We worship God in and through ministering the Word from God to one another. Uh, Edification and worship, says David Peterson, are different sides of the one coin. So, please read with me uh, a beautiful verse or two from Colossians and then we'll be done. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. There's that gospel unity again, our togetherness DNA again, and so when we come together, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. My thought here is simple on that verse. Notice how seamlessly Paul blends together worshipping God with working the Word into our life together. Worshipping God with working the Word into our life together. Is worship in this verse just about me and God? It certainly is about me and God. His words got to, what is it, dwell in me richly. His words got to dwell in me richly. It's the theme of my speech and my thought and my wisdom. It's supposed to be the very song of my heart, which presumably I sing back to God. But blended throughout, it is about me and you. It is about us together working the word into one another, teach and admonish with all wisdom. In fact, did you realise um, Colossians and Ephesians, they've got these parallel passages, almost the same but not exactly the same. And in the Ephesians version, if I can put it that way, of this verse, um, even our singing is our word ministry to one another. So look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Do you see the blending there? Brothers and sisters, a little over a century ago, it wasn't uncommon to find Christians asking after a sermon, how did you get on under the Word? And now we ask, how did you enjoy the sermon? Or how did you enjoy the worship? For what it's worth, I I do want to say, I reckon worship done well will be enjoyable. It will be a joy to us. It's not for my entertainment... It's certainly not the fun bit after the sermon or the fun bit before the sermon. 
It's not what we do when we forget all those people around us and just have this one-on-one connection with God, although it may include that. But let me say, we worship the Lord in and through every facet of our Sunday morning together, done to the glory of God, done for the building of His people uh, toward maturity, the body, the church, His people with whom we share the hope, with whom we will share the experience of God's presence for all eternity. Let's close with that last verse in Colossians 3. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray together. O great God of highest heaven, occupy our lowly hearts, please. Father, our Lord Jesus is the one who... He worshipped you in purity, in truth, for all of his days with his whole life. You've let us come close to you, not because we deserve it, but because you desire it and you've forgiven us, you've made the way open in Christ. Teach us, please, to delight together in what pleases you, to work at it, in worship to you, and to delight in what helps one another learn to delight in you all the more. We ask it in Christ's name, please. Amen.